Welcome to this edition of Ropes and Gray's Capital Insights Series. I'm Lisa Bebchik, a partner in Ropes and Gray's Litigation and Enforcement Practice Group. I'm speaking today with my partner, Brian Blaze. Brian recently returned to the firm after spending more than a decade as a prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. While there, Brian was a member of the Securities and Commodities Fraud Unit, which focused on white-collar and securities fraud prosecutions, and also served as co-chief of the office's General Crimes Unit, where he oversaw cases involving corporate criminal liability, wire mail and tax fraud, and other criminal offenses. So there's no better person for me to sit down with today to talk to about DOJ enforcement priorities for 2021 and beyond. I'm very much looking forward to this discussion and to hearing Brian's unique perspective on what we can all expect from the DOJ. Brian, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Lisa. I'm also very much looking forward to our conversation. So let's jump right into it. Brian, as you know, Judge Merrick Garland was recently confirmed by the Senate as Attorney General in a fairly bipartisan fashion. Garland joins the DOJ after 24 years, most recently as Chief Judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. What do you believe will be the key enforcement priorities for a Garland-led DOJ? Thanks, Lisa. Um, Let me just first say that I'm happy to be back at Ropes, and I'm excited to speak with you today about the likely enforcement priorities of the new DOJ leadership. Now, at his confirmation hearing, uh, Attorney General Garland made clear that his first priority would be investigating and prosecuting those responsible for the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Now, that priority matches up pretty well with Attorney General Garland's own background. Um, As you might know, during his earlier time at the DOJ, uh, Attorney General Garland was the lead DOJ prosecutor of those responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. So he has a pretty deep well of experience with domestic terrorism. Um, Now, by all accounts, the investigation of the January 6th attack has been a massive law enforcement undertaking. I think something like half of the FBI agents in the Washington office have been devoted uh, to this investigation. And the amount of evidence that's been gathered in connection with this investigation from search warrants and from video surveillance camera footage and from cell phone data is just overwhelming. So it's going to take a huge amount of prosecutorial and investigative time and effort to ultimately bring these cases to closure. And I think that's worth noting because the law enforcement resources that are dedicated to this effort are necessarily shifted away from pursuing other priorities. So it's very possible that the sheer amount of time and effort devoted to the January 6th attack could delay or complicate the achievement of other DOJ enforcement priorities. That's a really interesting observation and, and not something um, I had, had really been focused on. Could, could you share with our listeners some of these other enforcement priorities you think are, are likely to be front and center? Well, Lisa, I think we can expect to see a sustained DOJ focus on combating fraud related to COVID relief funds. You know, since the pandemic began, Congress has appropriated almost $5 trillion to COVID relief funding, um, and that includes nearly a trillion dollars that's part of the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, and COVID relief is one of the largest government spending programs ever. Uh, And obviously, such substantial government outflows do create opportunities for fraud. uh, And I expect that DOJ will continue to devote substantial effort to investigating and prosecuting fraud in these programs. You know, and that is something that um, 
that DOJ did do during the Trump administration. You know, as an example, um, every U.S. attorney's office was required to designate a COVID fraud coordinator um, and to provide regular reports up to Maine Justice. Um, and there were regular you know, task force meetings about these topics. And there's certainly no reason to think that a Garland-led DOJ is going to be any less aggressive in this area. Could you talk about the type of COVID-related cases you expect the DOJ to be pursuing? Sure. Prosecutions to date have mostly focused on low-hanging fruit, um, such as the blatant misuse of COVID relief funds. I mean, think the, the prototypical example is um, somebody who was prosecuted for using uh, PPP funds to buy a Lamborghini rather than to actually sustain his business. Um, but I do think that the DOJ's efforts will almost certainly not end with these kinds of low-hanging fruit type cases. You know, as an example, uh, the DOJ just announced the first settlement of a False Claims Act case involving misstatements in an application for PPP funds. And I do expect that the DOJ will work closely with the Small Business Administration, which administers the PPP program, as well as the Special Inspector General for Pandemic Relief to scrutinize the applications and the certifications that accompany these applications uh, to obtain PPP and other COVID relief. And, and I do expect that the DOJ will be looking to prosecute not just kind of outright misuse of COVID relief funds, but we'll also be looking for things like misstatements and loan applications, prohibited double dipping, which is when you know, entities are improperly obtaining COVID relief fund from multiple government programs, which is actually explicitly prohibited, um, as well as uh, looking for falsity in uh, the necessity certifications or, or entities that apply for COVID relief funding have to certify that the funds they're obtaining are necessary for their business to survive. Uh, and I think there will definitely be scrutiny as to whether those certifications are true. So I do expect we'll see many more cases um, in this area, both on the criminal and civil side. Well, it certainly will be interesting to see how that all develops. But moving beyond COVID-related fraud, given, I think, our collective pandemic fatigue at this point, what are some other priorities you expect to see? Well, Lisa, I hear you on the pandemic fatigue. Um, I, I would expect that a Garland DOJ will substantially increase prosecution of financial and other white-collar crime. It's worth noting that you know, white-collar prosecutions dropped meaningfully during the Trump administration. You know, there's a recent study that shows that the number of white-collar defendants declined approximately 30% during the first three years of the Trump administration compared to where those levels were during the Obama administration. And in fact, in 2019, white and this is before the pandemic, white-collar prosecutions hit an all-time low um, over the past 33 years. I um, mean, that, that sort of downward trend is almost certain to reverse uh, in the coming years. Interesting. Why do you think that's the case? Well, there's a few, few observations as to why. Um, first, periods of financial disruption often lead to an uptick in white-collar crime prosecutions. You know, just as an example, there was a notable uptick in white-collar prosecutions in 2010 and 2011 following the 2008-2009 financial crisis. 
Um, and I would expect to see a similar uptick in white collar prosecutions in the coming months and years as the economy recovers from the volatility and disruption that was induced by the pandemic in the second and third quarters of uh, 2020. Um, in particular, I think we'll see increased prosecutions really across all areas of traditional financial crimes prosecution. So insider trading, accounting fraud, market manipulation, earnings management, and in the asset management space, valuation and mismarking fraud. Um, second observation or thought is I expect we'll see greater scrutiny of corporate wrongdoers and an increased focus on holding entities responsible for the criminal actions of their employees. So this raises an issue with respect to corporate fines, um, which you know, there's a general view that they ultimately penalize innocent shareholders who generally took no part in the misconduct. But interestingly, um, SEC Commissioner Crenshaw just recently gave a speech urging the SEC to reconsider its generally reluctant approach to uh, imposing corporate criminal penalties. Uh, and it really will be interesting to see if the DOJ adopts Commissioner Crenshaw's line of thinking and is more open to uh, considering uh, or pursuing corporate criminal fines. Um, third observation, you know, the SEC has always been a strong referral source to DOJ for potential criminal securities fraud matters. And as you know, the SEC during the Trump administration had a pretty well-publicized enforcement focus on matters involving Main Street rather than Wall Street. Um, and I think it appears that uh, Gary Gensler's nomination to be the SEC chair uh, is progressing forward. Um, and there's every reason to believe that the Wall Street focus will return to the SEC um, when it's led by uh, Gensler. You know, he had a reputation as a fairly uh, aggressive enforcer uh, during his time as uh, chairman of the CFTC. Uh, and I think there's every reason to believe um, that that uh, aggressive uh, enforcement posture will continue at the SEC. Uh, and, and as a result of all of this, I think the SEC will, will continue to be uh, an important source of criminal referrals to the DOJ. That brings to mind uh, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, perhaps to the surprise of many, under the Trump administration, the DOJ continued to levy and collect hefty fines for FCPA violations, including a record $3.9 billion penalty against European aerospace giant uh, Airbus. So, so what about the FCPA uh, under this administration? Well, Lisa, you, you beat me to it. Yes, I do think that the FCPA will absolutely be an area of corporate-focused investigation that's likely to remain a key DOJ enforcement priority in the coming years. Um, you know, during his presidential campaign, President Biden uh, stated that combating foreign corruption was, quote, a core national security interest. You know, the, there is a dedicated FCPA unit within DOJ's fraud section, and obviously it's going to continue to investigate international corruption cases. So picking up from your observation, it's interesting that the five largest FCPA settlements of all time occurred within the last five years, despite some well-publicized statements by President Trump disparaging the FCPA. Nonetheless, 
given President Biden's statements uh, equating international corruption to a national security risk, I think it's fair to say that we should anticipate an uptick in enforcement activity in this space, despite the fact that it was a relatively active area uh, even over the last several years. And so what are some other likely priorities uh, beyond increased prosecution of financial fraud and white-collar crime? Well, as has been the case over the course of the past several administrations, I think the DOJ is all but certain to maintain a sharp focus on combating healthcare fraud. Um, the government recovered over $2 billion from False Claims Act cases uh, in fiscal year 2020, um, the large majority of which came from companies in the healthcare space or healthcare adjacent spaces. And in fact, there were a record number of new False Claims Act filings in 2020. Uh, and those cases are poised to play out over the next several years. So there's every reason to expect that enforcement activity in the healthcare and life sciences space will remain as robust as it has been historically. Now, I would note that in the past, Many of the recent settlements in this space have focused on uh, kickbacks or other inducements that healthcare companies have allegedly offered to practitioners to drive prescribing or other activity, uh, whether through speaker programs or copay assistance foundations or other kinds of patient assistance programs. And I think there's every reason to expect continued scrutiny in these areas, particularly as traditional face-to-face -face marketing activity ramps back up after the easing of pandemic restrictions. Obviously, there's been a reduction in that kind of face-to-face -face marketing uh, in light of pandemic-related shutdowns, but that will certainly ease as more and more of the population becomes vaccinated. Um, finally, I think health data privacy and security um, is also an area that's ripe for uh, increase investigative activity. Um, you know, certainly during the pandemic, there's been an increased reliance on telehealth services, and there's been a proliferation of mobile health apps. Um, and I think those together are ripe for increased scrutiny on the data privacy uh, and data security uh, side of things. And that makes a lot of sense, and it seems like there's quite a bit uh that the DHJ is going to be, be focused on. We are just about out of time. Any final observations to share with our listeners about likely DOJ priorities? Well, as I referenced earlier, I think one real challenge for the Garland DOJ will be the many competing demands on the resources available to DOJ leadership. But in addition to the many corporate-related priorities I just discussed, there are a large number of Biden administration priorities that implicate the DOJ, many of which represent a sharp break from the priorities of the Trump Department of Justice. So those include things like environmental justice and the prosecution of environmental cases, um, civil rights and voting act cases, the ongoing fight against domestic terrorism, including, as we talked about earlier, the January 6th uh, Capitol attack immigration reform and potential shifts in immigration prosecution priorities, potentially heightened antitrust enforcement, um, and criminal justice reform writ large, just to name a few. And putting aside even all of these priorities, 
there's a huge backlog of cases in the department more broadly due to pandemic-related shutdowns, including substantial trial backlog. So there will be a significant amount of prosecutorial time and effort in the near term devoted to resolving these already charged matters, as well as moving along already opened investigations. So that leaves reduced prosecutorial bandwidth to advance any new uh, enforcement priorities. So all of that's to say, you know, one big question for the Garland DOJ is, can it do it all? Um, you know, or will these various competing demands lead to a natural prioritization of certain enforcement priorities over others? Uh, we'll certainly have a better sense in the coming weeks and months as the remaining DOJ leadership is confirmed, as priorities get communicated, and as the first round of investigations under the new leadership start to launch. And we will, of course, be following these developments closely and letting our listeners know about any material developments. Brian, thank you so much for joining me for this discussion. It, it really went by fast. And thank you to our listeners uh, for joining us. For more information on the topics that we covered or additional perspectives on the new administration, please visit our Capital Insights website at ropesgray.com slash capitalinsights. And of course, if we can help you navigate any of the topics we discussed, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You could also subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.